Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Starting today, we're going to be uh, looking at the Living Church Sermon Series. And today, we're going to look at Foundations. That's the title of the message, Foundations. And what we're going to look at is just to understand, what did Jesus Christ, our Lord, mean when he talked about the church? That he's going to establish a church. What does it mean when the apostles talked about the church and wrote to the church? What does it mean? All of that. And what is our responsibility in it? So we're not looking at church as a building or an organization, but just coming back to the fundamentals of God's words to his church. Okay? So that's the objective. Did you know that the very first mention of church in the New Testament, you know where it comes from? Anyone? Peter. Gosh, she's such a Bible nerd. My wife, seriously, Bible trivia. She's so good. I knew she was going to get it. But anyways, you guys remember this account? Jesus is walking, you know, along with his disciples. And he asked a simple question. Hey, who do others say? What do people saying who I am? And they're like, oh, some say you're the prophet. Some say you're this. And then, but then Jesus turned around and goes, but who do you say that I am? You guys remember that? Peter, on speaking behalf of all the disciples, really, he was like the team leader, says, you are the Christ, God's own son. And it's like, bing, 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 bing. You know, he hit the jackpot. He got it right. And this is where Jesus, like, said, blessed are you, Peter. Oh, no, what did he say? Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, let me go back. Blessed are you, Peter, for answering correctly. No, that's my paraphrase. Never mind. <laughs> he, Jesus was like, you couldn't have known that on your own. You answered correctly, and he gave this promise that Peter, you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I want you to consider this first mention of the church. Peter's birth name is Simon, or was Simon. When Jesus met Peter for the very first time in John 1, Jesus renames him on their first meeting. I don't know how many times you meet somebody. He's like, I won't remember your name. Let me give you a new name. That's kind of rude. But Jesus gives him a name. You're Peter, or Cephas, which is, okay, let me just read this. John 1.42, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So get this. Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. Peter means the rock. Jesus sees Peter, or Simon, says, you are Cephas. I'm calling you rock. Now, my sisters used to call me rock. Or you got a rock for head. It wasn't a compliment. So it's interesting that Jesus gives him the name rock. 
But in this promise, after Peter gets it right, he says, you are rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. Rock, stones are the building blocks of architecture, right? Now, Pastor Caleb brought it to my attention because I like woodworking. And I was like, ah, you know, I just want to follow in the, you know, the path of Jesus, you know, woodworker. And he's just like, come on, man. You ever been to Israel? You see trees over there? Right? So he brought it to my attention that if you go over there, there aren't that many woodworkers. There are stone cutters, which is the same word that you use for woodcutter. In, in fact, so the tradition of the church saying Jesus or Joseph was a carpenter is kind of probably poorly translated because if you go to that region, the tradition of that region is that he was probably a stone cutter. So imagine a stone cutter saying, you are a stone. And on this stone, I'm going to build my church. You see a picture here? It sounds like Peter and the disciples are going to play a significant role in this building project. But what's he really talking about a building project? Imagine, consider, if you're a good Jewish family, where did you go on Sabbath day to worship God? Where did you go? Temple, if you live close to Jerusalem. I won't ask. Don't answer. You know too much. She says synagogue. That's the correct answer. The Bible nerd here always gets it right. I actually, when I'm preparing for my sermon and I, I can't recall a text, I ask my wife. So seriously, she, she knows. <laughs> she's a good helper. Uh, she's, I'm just saying she's very brilliant. <laughs> so imagine, he is talking about, I will build my church, but there is no church, as you and I know church. There's no Christians. There's no church buildings have ever been built, as you and I know church. So what was Jesus talking about? How did the disciples even decipher or understand what Jesus was talking about on this rock, I will build my church. What was he talking about? Well, consider the word that Jesus used is ecclesia to talk about church. Ecclesia, literal translation, means assembly or congregation. It's when many people gather together to become an assembly. When many, plural, comes together to become one singular. You guys get that? It's like a team. It's like the Buccaneers. The team isn't Tom Brady. I love him, but he's not the team. He's one singular part of the team. Even though there may be 53-man roster on the team, it's not just that team. You're including the coach. You're including the offense-defense coordinator. You're talking about the people who are refilling the Gatorade bottles, who share in the mission to help the team to accomplish their mission which to win back-to-back -back Super Bowl championship, right? Oh, can I get an amen? Thank you. Thank you. My goodness. But let me tell you guys, I tell you this because it matters. 
I was living in the New England area when Tom Brady first led back-to-back second Super Bowl championship for the Patriots. You guys remember that? That year, the Red Sox did the miracle and won the World Series. Few years later, I moved to Denver, Colorado, where Denver Broncos welcomed Peyton Manning, and what did they do? They won the Super Bowl. I come down to Tampa. I'm, I'm serious. Last year, when, the, when they invited Tom Brady, I knew. I knew. I'm just saying. And on Sunday nights, I'm not watching football. I'm here at the resting place because I know where the champions are. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now that we said that, <laughs> Jesus prophesied that he will build his church on the rock of his disciples. And Apostle Paul reiterates this in, throughout his letters. Throughout his letters. Jesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, he talked about writing to ch- the church in Ephesus who were really Gentile uh, un, or take that back, non-Jewish believers, non-Jewish church, right? Christians. And he's, he just reiterates, hey, this is what Jesus Christ has done for you. You were once aliens. You were once exiles. You were once the rejects, the outsiders, right? But here's what our Lord has done. And he says in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Verse 22 again In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Apostle Paul describes this structure, a holy temple of the Lord, with the foundations, with the apostles, prophets, and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And the rock of foundation, the rock, is Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. But you also have to understand the meanings of the rock and the illusions of God himself. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.4, all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which was laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.6, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So you guys get that. Jesus Christ, he's a cornerstone, the rock, and said... His apostles were the rock. You are my rock. And on you, on the rock, I will build my foundation. My, or build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, this is, he is laying out the blueprint. He is prophesying when he said this to the disciples. This is what I'm going to do. We know that the church he was alluding to was not a building, as you and I might see church today in every block of some major place, major cities. What he was talking about is assembling of his people in his name who follow 
him, to follow the, the apostles' teachings, the scriptures. Living by his spirit and his apostle as a dwelling place. Jesus Christ, God's own son, the word of God, was given as a promise, prophesying of what was to come about the church. That it would be an assembly where many will become singular. The plural will become one. United. And will be a dwelling place of God. It's about unity. The church is about unity. The church is the embodiment of God's truth lived out in love and unity. The church is a continuation of the temple account. And if you remember the temple account in the Old Testament, it started out in the tabernacle of the of tent. You guys remember that? So as Moses and uh, Israel traveled through the desert, they took the tent, and there were very meticulous instructions of what this tent was supposed to be in measurement and how it's laid out. But it was mobile. Until David, if you remember, was like, I'm living in this stone house, but the Lord is in a tent. And he wanted to build, and of course, King Solomon built the temple to be glorious. The temple, so go from the tent to the temple. The temple was a dwelling place of God. Moses had the most, I guess, encounters where when God's presence came, the cloud overshadowed everyone. And they saw the tangible presence of God, and others could not enter into that place. When they went to the temple account, same thing. The most, the temple itself was huge with many different courts. But as you get to the center of the court, different corridors, at some point the Gentiles could come into the court of Gentiles, but then couldn't go any deeper. Uh, the next was all the Jewish people, including the women, and then which was court of women. Then you couldn't go deeper into that, no, at least the women. It, then it just get, came to more of the qualifiers who were eligible, men, Levites, priests, and the most center of the temple was a place called Holy of Holies, which is the most holy place where they stored the ark, the, the Ten Commandments, and only very few times, maybe once a year, where a priest were thrown the lot, and what they did was they tied a rope around the priest because if he didn't prepare himself in holiness before he would go on the Day of Atonement, he could be struck dead. He was supposed to, he, the priest, who's supposed to meet and encounter God, if he was not prepared correctly, he could die. What separated the Holy of Holies was this huge curtain that divided, which is which uh, said about four inches thick. But that was the dwelling place of God. But when Jesus Christ, God's own son, died on that cross, when he hung on that cross and gave his last breath, the sky turned dark, black. You had the dead rising out of their tomb, coming out. Earth shook. Various miracles happened. But one specific thing was that the curtain 
the veil from the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And what that means is that here's a dwelling place of God who was in the temple, we believed. But when that veil was torn, he's saying, I'm not there anymore. And then, and then, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. You guys remember that? Acts 2, 2 to 4. The background was that believers, followers of Jesus after Jesus ascended, was in the upper room and they were praying together. In verse 2, Acts 2, 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The people, the followers of Jesus Christ who were together in prayer were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were enabled with power that they were not able to do before. The power of God. They were filled with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Fulfilling the promise and the prophecy of Jesus saying, Father will give you a helper. He will be indwelling in you. And it came to fruition where the individual followers or believers received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God himself indwelling. And so the church is when the assembly, the gathering of believers those who have the Holy Spirit come together and become one, that's the church. The church is the indwelling presence of God. The apostle was not describing an organization as more an organism. He was not talking about a structure or organization or 503C, you know, nonprofit or a building but a living body. Elsewhere, we're going to talk about that deeper in the coming weeks, that we are members of the body of Christ, where the Christ is the head. In this account, he is talking about a building where the foundation is laid by the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus being the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, if you know anything about building, is where all the weight, all the power comes together. It is the final stone to which everything comes together. He's saying, you were once aliens. You were once outsiders. But because of Jesus, you became a household of God. Household, household of God. And that word for household is family. It's family member. In my house is my wife, me. My kids, let me tell you, as soon as we come inside our house, our kids are not asking me permission. Hey, can I come in your house? They just come in. And as soon as they come in, they take their shoes off. Not be, Well, they take their shoes off because we're Korean and we, that's what we do. But they take their shoes off because it's the most comfortable thing to do when you're home. My son takes it to another level. He just takes off all his clothes and he goes, you know. He gets comfortable. He doesn't seek permission. That's his house. He does what he will. And you know what? 
doesn't matter what we look like, what we dress, what we wear inside, or not wear inside the house, because we love each other. That's the household. And that's the imagery that God, Jesus, and the apostles were alluding to when you became and entered into the household of God. No matter what we look like, we honor one another, we love one another, we serve one another. This is who we are. You heard blood is thicker than water. We're talking blood here. Family in Christ. This is why I think it's so important to take communion. By the way, we always have communion elements in the back. If you look back there, there's a table, there's a cup. I welcome you guys to occasionally take your family or friends and say, hey, let's, let's break bread together. Or join our fellowship, join our um, life group. Let's break bread together. That's what church is. We're family. So here's a question I ask you. What is your view on church? How have you seen church as part of your life? What is church to you? Is it a place that you visit just once a week? Or is it a place that you come hoping to get closer to God? Or be inspired? Um, or is there a place that you feel like you have to go because your parents forced you all your life? And, you, and maybe you just think, man, that's just, it's just programmed in your mind. I have to go to church. I don't know why, but my parents always made me go to church. There are a lot of different views on how people perceive church. But I want us to understand there are a lot of different views, different expectations, and different understanding of what church is. But if what we believe about church is anything less than what Jesus talked about church and the apostles, then we are shortchanging ourselves. We are not receiving the fullness of what God wants to pour out into your life. How you view church determines our faith. Our faith often determines our relationship with God and how we would trust or lack of trust with God. You guys with me? This starts at the very foundation. What is our view of church? Because many people think it's a place we visit occasionally. There's a lot of statistics, and, and I'm, I read this years ago. It used to be years ago, if you were a devout believer, born again, you went to church X number of times per month, right? And it used to be more consistent, like, if you're born again, three, four times. That number has shrunk in the past decade considerably. If we were to average out in a year, maybe 50% as a culture. It was a scary number when I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh. Even those who proclaim to be born, forget all the other numbers like 85% of this country is being born again Christian. No. <laughs> no. Born again is a whole different statistics. But 
to those who say, uh, you know, Jesus is my Lord and devout, even attendance has dropped as a culture considerably in the past decade because our view of the church had become so laxed and it has shortchanged what God has planned for his church. What do you believe church is? Maybe some of your past experiences have put color in your lens and have shaped what you thought of church. I remember when I was little, this was in Korea. I was like five years old. I was walking with a friend through town, and there was a Catholic convent or church. I didn't know what it was. It was just pretty building. But there was these uh, nuns with a habit, and they were walking in. And my friend told me, my aunt told me that there were people who went in and they never came out. Now, I don't know how that story was shaped and how it was told to that little boy. But when he told me people have gone in there and never came out, I was like, oh, that was the scariest place for me. I didn't know what they did. I was like, they looked nice. I don't know. But I didn't even want to get close to the building because I thought they might be abducting and I could never get out. But little, I want you to know, that kept me from the nuns in the habit walking further away from them. It, it literally shaped my actions because of that little story. And I believed it to be true. I guarantee you, you all have experiences, maybe... I have, I've heard a lot of stories with my friends who are Catholic. They told me some stories, and it has shaped their thoughts. Some of you guys had Methodist background, Baptist, or even Pentecostal church background, and you had expectations of what worship was supposed to be, how people were supposed to dress, and when you went to a place that was different, you were in shock and maybe critical. They're doing it wrong because we have all shaped our perspective and our understanding of what we think church ought to be. In the same way, our past shapes how we respond to church today. Maybe the past pains. Oh, believe me, I know about pains in the church. Yeah, my pastor friends, to my own life, to members who have told me stories of the pains that they have experienced, oh, yeah, people do get hurt in the church. And so I have seen people being more cautious before they commit to another church. Do you guys know that happens? But what we think about church will determine how we will be committed or how we give in or not. I'm not saying our opinions of the church doesn't matter, but God's opinion of his church matters more. What Jesus said about his church matters more than our pains, our past experiences, the things that have shaped our lens. And I'm saying... Is our perspective correct 
of our view of the church. Somewhere in our culture, even the Christians have adopted a consumer mindset of the church. I remember going to a new area, and I, this is something I said. Uh, we moved into a city, and um, it's like, oh, what church are you going to? And I'm like, I'm, right now I'm church shopping. I said that. I said that. I said, I'm church shopping, meaning I'm visiting different places to figure out which is the right church for me. And say, maybe it's the programs, maybe it's the sermons, maybe it's the ambience, the freedom, Whatever it is, I said I was church shopping because I was trying to determine which was the right church for me. But that's a consumer mindset, right? Church shopping. First of all, that's the word. And my mindset is what's in it for me. But the church, first of all, is building blocks. You as members of the body are to be the hands and the feet, the mouth, the, uh, right, to speak God's word. You are to serve. You are to build the church. You are building blocks. When the assembly gather together to build upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets in Jesus Christ. That's what we are. We're not consumers. But we come as consumers. What can I take? What can I receive? What can I be inspired by? What can I get from this Sunday? And we have wrong perspective of church. Man, I did visit one church. They had a donut wall. <laughs> donut wall with, I know, with iced coffee. No, and it wasn't just ice. It was like nitro um, iced coffee thing. I was like, dang, this rocks. If I wasn't pastoring a church elsewhere, I'd be here for the donuts and the coffee. But, you know, that was my thing. With marketing background, I appreciate all those things. I'm not saying that's how it ought to be. I appreciate. But we don't go to church for that. that that's like impression to tell you, your friends about, but that's not what we go to church for. What do we go to church for? To worship God. Because what his opinion thinks of the church matters more than what I think of what I can get from the church. In the coming weeks, we're going to look deeper into the church, different roles of how every one of us are made so uniquely different and how we are to come together and to honor one another. And, and Caleb says this all the time, you know, honor is not agreement. We are all different. That diversity, that's actually our strength. But, you know, if you study missiology or, like, church history, do you know what the Western church has done many, many times? They have taken the white church whether America or Eastern Europe, go to Africa and say, you can't be like that. So you can only play the piano or you can only dress a certain way. Like they have taken their culture and said the church is this. No. <laughs> the church is not about the culture or the color. It is to embrace the diversity of how God made us unique. And in fact, I was uh, argue that our campus is going to be very different from Tampa campus or even South Tampa campus because there is diversity of the body that make up, but we are still one church, right, with the same core values. We're going to talk uh, deeper about that, but I want to, for you to remember, and this, this is the takeaway. My purpose in this sermon is for you to see church as Christ sees the church.
And for us to take off our colored lens of what we think church ought to be. That means, bear with me here, all your past Christianity upbringing, the praises and the pains, I want you to take it to the Lord. Because all of those things that have shaped your views could be leading you to the Lord or it could be keeping you from the Lord, depending on your view. But bottom line is we have to understand who we are as the church first. Are you hosting the presence of God in your life? Are you coming together to build the church that he has established upon his foundation? Or are you coming as consumer? I can tell you that the resting place was established never to be a consumer church, but to fulfill the desires of God, even at the risk of obeying, like planning a church during pandemic. Who does that, right? But I am so excited that our church choose to be faithful to the Lord more than hide behind the comfort of, yeah, our comfort. And I want you to consider what does it mean to be part of the resting place. And we're going to talk deeper about that. It will be challenging because, oh, because I will share the biblical convictions. And sometimes the truth of God's word is hard. It should challenge us. But if you're already doing it, praise God. Seriously. If you're doing it, praise God. But I'm, I'm just warning you. Um, I love you. I love you. Like, And I, I want to say this. I love my kids. And I will challenge my kids because I care about them. Because I want them to grow. Pastor Caleb talked about growth this morning. Watch that sermon if you haven't already. But we, as a children of God, are called to grow. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.